chapter 15. I wanted to speak leading up to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, we call it, um, on the resurrection, but not just one service, like just take one service, but so there's no better chapter to go to than 1 Corinthians 15. A dear old preacher friend of mine that's with the Lord now used to call it the great getting up chapter. He says, talk about the Lord getting up and talks about us getting up. And it truly does. We're going to look at this chapter for the next couple, few weeks on the resurrection. He starts in verse 1. We'll read down through verse 11. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. After that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that He was seen of James, and then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. Amen? We can all say that, right? And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Just reading it is such a blessing, have what you've said. Now help us to, to uh, learn some things from this passage and be challenged tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all know, if you've studied your Bible any amount of time at all, that Corinthians was a problem church. Um. Really, to say it was problems was an understatement. Had all kind of problems. Just the first couple of chapters are divided over their leaders. He deals with that. Um, they were divided over man's philosophies and human wisdom. Chapters 2 and 3 concerning immorality in the church. They were taking one another to court. They were messed up on marital relationships. They were messed up on different kinds of meat, whether to eat it or not. Public worship, the place of women. They were messed up on that and the spiritual gifts. But of all the problems they dealt with, chapter 15 could be the most serious because it was a doctrinal problem. Matter of fact, chapter 15, I think it's the only chapter in 1 Corinthians that he deals only with doctrine. He just doesn't deal with certain problems. He deals just with the doctrine. And the doctrine was they didn't believe in the resurrection. There were some that didn't believe. And I think you could say that maybe all of their problems stemmed from this problem. Because what we believe determines how we behave. And if you don't believe the fundamental, fundamentals of the faith, it will affect the way you believe. I, I think I, you, you know me long enough to know that a lot of what I do is 
I refundamentalize us all the time. I'm, I'm returning back to the doctrines because why? Because it's the fundamental doctrines that that are the, is the bedrock of our faith, and it keeps us believing right, and not be you know tossed about by every wind of doctrine. And this resurrection of Jesus Christ is the key doctrine of our faith. It's the key thing. One commentator said, Just as the heart pumps life-giving blood into every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. Now some in Corinth didn't believe it. Look at verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, they were doubting the resurrection of the body of the believer. But the, the reason they doubted that is because they didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Our resurrection is based on His resurrection. And so as we go through chapter 15 in this study, it's going to be interesting because we're, we're going to study the resurrection of Jesus, but we're going to study what our resurrection is going to be like, what our body is going to be like when we get to heaven. There's, there's some things said about it right here. We need to, I think it's kind of, you know, know before you go kind of stuff, you know. It's, it's, all, a little, it's good to know what you're going to be like when you get there. So you won't be all that surprised, right, when we get there. Well, some didn't believe it, and and there were three philosophies that were present in the church at Corinth, and they're still present today. They may have been changed as far as their name, but there's materialistic philosophy, and that is that everything in life is materialistic. When you die, you die, and that's it. You're like, my pastor used to say, you're like Rover, you're dead all over, you know. Well, that dogs die, they die. You need your dog in heaven? Ah, if you need him, he'll be there. But I don't know about cats, Karen. I'm sorry. <laughs> if there's cats where you go, you might not be in heaven. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, you know, um, I'll have to maybe, maybe I'll like cats in my glorified body. I can't see at all how that'd be glorified. But anyway, um, materialism. In other words, and so many people believe, and really when you're talking to people today, it's like, what happens when you die? Do you ever think about that much? No. One thing, they don't think about it because they don't want to. But if they do, they think, well, I just think you die and that's it. Well, that's okay that you think that, but you're wrong according to the Bible. That's our, that's our basics. Another one is pantheism, and that is, it's bigger now in, in the States than it's ever been because of Eastern religion uh, infiltration and all of that. But pantheism says God is everything and everything is God. In other words, this pulpit is God and that seat is God and you're God. And it's the gospel of Oprah Winfrey, really. But, you know, when you look in the mirror, you're God. Now, you can be all you can be because there is God living within you. Matter of fact, you are God. You become God. Um, people like preachers, like Kenneth Hagin, believe that too. And Copeland and uh, Joyce Meyer and those people. But really, uh, that's the New Age movement, commonly called. The New Age movement is really old Satan beliefs. And they believe, not in resurrection, but in reincarnation. So that you're going to die, but you're going to come back as something hopefully better. And I'm hearing, I hear this more than ever now, karma. You know, I hear people talk about, well, that's just, I guess that's karma. 
there's, that's Eastern religion. That's New Age movement. It's a lie is what that is. But they think, you know, if you, if you live good, then you'll come back as a better person or a better, you know, reincarnation. That's wrong. And then there's the, the uh, plate, uh, it's called the Platonistic view, which was from Plato. And they believed that the soul lived on, but there was no bodily resurrection. Many so-called Bible believers believe that. But I say so-called because they're not Bible believers. They don't believe in a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many Southern Baptists don't believe in it. Southern Baptists vote on it every year, whether they believe in the resurrection or not. Well, you have to vote on that. But, but uh, and, and whether the Bible is the Word of God. I mean, but really, the truth is, they don't believe that there was a bodily resurrection, that Jesus rose, but he rose in soul and spirit only. And he lives on in soul and spirit. No, Jesus' body got out of the grave, is what God says. Well, those, those doctrines and false teachings are not new. St. Paul addresses them here in this core teaching of the New Testament, that Jesus Christ is alive. So tonight, we're just going to look at this one point, the prominence of the resurrection. And in the prominence of the resurrection, we're going to look at two areas, defining the gospel and believing the gospel. First of all, Paul defines the gospel in verses 1 through 4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. I hear a lot of people talking about the gospel today. Well, it's the gospel. Well, keep reading. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, Which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. It was the same gospel that they had heard him preach 18 months earlier when he was in Corinth. He preached it. And he, he came to them. You can read the book of the early part of 1 Corinthians. He said, I come to you preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. Of course, he preached the resurrection too when he said that. We know that. But what I mean is, he says, I didn't, I, I didn't try to, try to you know, woo you with man's words of the philosophy. Now, Paul could have. Paul was a brilliant man. But he didn't do that. He said, I preach the gospel to you because that's what people need. People need that. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, you, you believed it and you received it and you were standing in it. I like that because wherein you stand, they were still standing in the gospel. And that's a good assurance verse because if you think about all the mess that was going on in Corinth, that verse tells you that you can't sin away your salvation, right? If, you're, if you believe the gospel, you continue to stand in the gospel. Now, they weren't living right, many of them. And that's why Paul dealt with all these problems. Thank God he did, because he gave us a manual to deal with a lot of problems in church, in, in our Christian life. But they were standing in the gospel, and they were established in their salvation. He says, verse 2, by which also ye are saved. That is a present tense salvation right there. That means that we are that we were saved when we were I mean our our salvation is really pictured in the New Testament in three tenses past, present, and future. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's hell. We are being saved right now from the very presence or very uh the power of sin. That's present tense. God is saving. God is, God is doing His work in us. That's sanctification. But He is saving us in the present tense. And one day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. Praise the Lord. Won't that be a day? 
What a day that'll be like we sang about this morning. We're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. No sin in heaven. Glory to God. But he goes on and he says, If you keep in memory what I preach unto you. Now, if there is, in the, in the, it's a third class condition. If and it's true. Or since, a lot of times, we could say. So, he says, since you're believing, you continue to believe. You're believing the gospel. It's the gospel that saved you, and you continue to believe in it. And, and here he says something very interesting. Unless you have believed in vain. And that's interesting. And it's a solemn reminder that giving a mental assent to the gospel is not believing the gospel. Right? Just saying you believe it mentally is not being saved. You can be 18 inches from heaven. Did you know that? It's about 18 inches from your heart, head to your heart. And they say you can miss heaven by 18 inches. And Karen told her brother that um, the night she was witnessing to him. And um, a little while later, he, she called him back and, and uh, he said, I got saved. Because he was believing it up here, but he wasn't—he hadn't received it. It's like the guy you talked to, Milo. He said, "You know, the guy said, uh, you know, he believed." Milo says, "Well, the devils believe, but it's not believing; it's obeying." And see, he said, "Unless you believed in vain." So there were some that maybe their problem why they didn't believe the resurrection was because they really weren't believers. I think there's a lot of people in churches today that have believed, but they're—they're they're not saved. They, they grew up in church, they grew up with the message, and it's so familiar to them. Yes, of course I believe, but it's never been a true conviction of repentance and faith in Christ. Totally is your Lord and Savior. So, he defines the gospel there. And he defines it in verses 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. So, this is... Definition of the gospel number one, Christ died for our sins. Salvation rests on the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived a, a sinless life, but his life doesn't save us. It was his death that saved us. Jesus Christ had to shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. All the Old Testament offerings were a picture of the shed blood that Jesus would shed on Calvary. He had to shed his blood. Couldn't have died another way. Couldn't have died by a, a non-blood way. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. He, 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 it says he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. His death was substitutionary and it was vicarious. Vicarious means that he paid our sin debt. He died in my place. And, what he, and when he paid, he, he paid my sin's debt, and the sins of the whole world. Oh, man, I think of that, that song, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. That's what happened. Look at Romans 5 and verse 8. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, 
But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's Christ died for our sins. That's the crucifixion. That's the first definition part of the gospel. Now look, according to the scriptures, understand that when Paul was preaching, the scriptures were the Old Testament. So we can show somebody that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures from the Old Testament, right? Brother, Brother Frampton showed us the other day how to lead somebody to Christ through the Old Testament. It's there. Notice Isaiah 53. That's one of the greatest passages. Maybe Paul was talking about this passage of Scripture. Isaiah 53. Wonderful passage of Scripture. Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And we, we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did, not, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just goes on and on. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He just goes on and on, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Verse 11, He, God, shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. And shall be satisfied, I'm sorry. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It's clear who he's talking about in Isaiah 53. There's a reason why they don't read this in the synagogue. It's because it's so clear who he's talking about. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is exactly how it happened. And, and the Lord was pleased with the travail of his soul. You know, you take all the sufferings bodily that Jesus did. And I think he suffered more than any man, physically. But his suffering was way beyond that. The suffering that God saw was the travail of his soul. When his soul paid the price for every human being in hell. Wow. What a Savior. Then Psalm 22, remember what in Psalm 22? That was a prophecy of the Old Testament, or prophecy of the death of Christ. Psalm 22, just a couple verses there in Psalm 22. All through it you can read about the crucifixion of God, of Jesus Christ, but on, on the cross, what did he say? Verse 1, he was quoting verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. This is Jesus on the cross. It's a picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He's there all the way through the, the psalm. Uh, verse 14, I'm poured out like water. and All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. 
All my bones are out of joint. Did you realize that they said that when they crucified a person, they would put them on the cross, on the ground, usually on that cross beam, and then they would nail the other one to it, and then they, would, they had dug a hole for which the cross would go into, and they would raise up that cross, and it would dump, fall down in that hole, and the downward jolting of the cross would usually throw the bones out of joint of the crucifixion victim. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. There he is. He said, all my bones are out of joint. Not a bone was broken. It's another prophecy. They came to break his bones, and they weren't broken because it says they weren't going to be broken. It goes on, and it says, it says, my strength is dried up like a posture, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. You realize, on the cross, what did Jesus say? I thirst. So who is this? This is Jesus. So Paul said, according to the Scriptures, you can go here, you can go to Isaiah 53, you can go to Psalm 69, different ones. Tell about it. Verse 16, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I want to tell you, if that's not a picture of the resurrection, and you see, when this was written, Rome wasn't in power. They didn't pierce anybody's hands and feet. What was that? Well, it was a prophecy that when Jesus would die, Rome would be in power and the, the, the method of death would be crucifixion. It wasn't going to be stoning like the Jews did. It was crucifixion. It was all foretold. So Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Praise God for that. Then he goes on and he said, and that he was buried. Now if you go back to Isaiah 53, even this is talked about. Look at it. Isaiah 53, because this, again, it's according to the Scriptures. Isaiah 53 and verse 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, because was, neither was any deceit in his mouth. With, uh, with the rich. Hmm. Did you realize that Jesus died and was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a very rich man. And it was a large tomb, because rich men had tombs for their whole family. I've seen it, and some of you have seen it. You know, you go in there, and it's not just a hole in the ground, like a lot of, a lot of people were buried in just niches in the, in the wall there, but not where the Lord was buried, or so they say where He's buried, it's a, it's a, pretty large room and you can see where where many people could be laid in there and that's where the lord was he's not there now hallelujah he's risen praise god but he was buried according to the scriptures i like the children's song gone 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 yes my sins are gone buried in the deepest sea yes that's good enough for me and i shall live eternally praise god my sins are g-o-n-e gone <laughs> they're gone. Our sins are buried, just like He was buried. Praise God. And it says, it goes on, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The end of the story isn't that He died. The end of the story isn't that He was buried. The end of the story is that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Praise God, He arose. The grave couldn't hold Him. He arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. Look at John 20. 
Verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was very dark, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and come to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the, the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. Here we learn that John was fast. <laughs> John, writing the book, doesn't identify who it was. The other disciple, that is John, he was fast. And first came to the sepulchre. Came first, and stooping down, he looked in, see, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Well, Peter, like, get out my way. I'm going in. And he went in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And then they went and told the others. So, you know, they go in there, the tomb's empty. By the way, the stone wasn't moved so Jesus could get out. The stone was moved so we could get in. Amen. He, I think he just walked through the stone. He didn't need to. Why? I mean, he's like, hey, guys, could you open this up? I'm alive and I want to. No, no, no. He didn't do any of that. He just kind of went through. Praise God. Luke chapter 24. I love this one. Luke 24. One twenty four one. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Praise God. He's risen. He's alive. He's still risen. You go into the tomb and there's a sign there that says, He is not here. He is risen. Hallelujah. So, it's according to the Scriptures. Again, the Scriptures spoke about it. The psalmist said in Psalm um, 16 that he would, his body would not see corruption. The body would corrupt very fast in that climate. And they didn't embalm or anything like that in those days. They did, but they didn't Jesus' body. They came with the spices to anoint the body. But it would have, it would have decayed very fast. But the psalm says it wouldn't decay. Why? Because he wasn't in there long enough to decay. He's only there three, three nights. So, uh, praise God. So, Psalm says that Job, we're going to get to that very soon in Job, but Job 19, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I mean, Job saw the living God, the living Savior is in the Old And then Isaiah 53, uh, back there, it just, let me, I got to read this. I can't, I don't know this one by heart, but Isaiah 53 when he talks about the death of Christ, he goes on and talks about the burial of Christ. Um, then he talks about the resurrection of Christ. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. 
That's a reference to the resurrection. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. How could he prolong his days if he lay there in the tomb and died? No, no, no. He prolonged his days in that he, he's, he's still alive. He got up out of the tomb. It's a prophecy of the resurrection. So all of this was according to the scriptures. So the resurrection is prominent in defining the gospel. It's prominent in defining the gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. And what does the gospel mean? Good news. You know, we can share good news with people because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. So the resurrection is not just a fact of defining it, but it's believing the gospel. Verse 1, back in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you've received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I've preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. They had believed. They had received. They were standing in it. The believing there. The word means to trust and receive with your whole heart that Christ is alive. What made these early apostles willing to die for their faith? It was a resurrection. It was a resurrection. You know, they didn't really all believe that He was going to rise until He appeared to them. Mark chapter 16, He appears to them and He, he upbraids them for their unbelief because they believed not. Even when the women came and they said, we've seen the Lord. They didn't believe it. But when they saw Him, they believed. And they believed and they were willing. Hey, He's alive. They were willing to give their lives for the cause of the gospel. Think about it. The early, according to historians, the apostles died in the following ways. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, was killed by the sword. John died a natural death when he was executed, um, in, uh, or exiled, I'm sorry, to, by Domitian to the Isle of Patmos. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Matthew was killed by the sword. James, the son of Alphaeus, was crucified. Thaddeus was killed by arrows. Simon the Zealot was crucified. And this one, this apostle here that was one born out of due time, Paul was beheaded. Now what would make all of those men willing to die for their faith? They believed that Jesus was alive. They were willing to give it all because he was alive. And we ought to be able, willing to do that same. And really, there's been Christians for over 2,000 years that were willing to die, even today, willing to die because Jesus Christ is alive. They believed the message that so much so that they put their whole faith and trust in the fact that Jesus died and was buried and rose again and He's alive. And if, I, if they kill me, it's only going to hurt for a minute and I'm going to be with the living Christ. You ever think about that? Praise God. One scholar said that resurrection was the belief that turned heartbroken followers of a crucified rabbi into courageous witnesses and martyrs of the early church. There was a one belief that separated the followers of Jesus from the Jews that, and turned them into a community of the resurrection. You could imprison them, flog them, kill them, but you could not make them deny their conviction that on the third day He rose again. Amen. Praise God. Have you believed the good news? Amen. Jesus is living tonight, and I trust He's alive in every one of our hearts. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you, Lord, that you're alive tonight, that you live in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we'll be able to share that good news with somebody this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Brother Rick's going to sing. If you need to come.